It's coming into autumn of 2013 and I'm walking along the path in a remote Irish village. The sun has just gone down and the rain is drifting in from the sea. There's a hint of turf smoke in the air. I can hear music and I follow the sound to the door of a small pub on the corner. I open the door and the chill of the evening disappears at once as I enter into the warmth. I'm in Leavis's corner house in Ballydehob in West Cork, on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. There are ancient groceries lining one wall, pictures galore, wallpaper from another era. Joseph, look after Bertie. He's thirsty. It's not just about temperature, but that matters too on these chilly evenings. It's something more indefinable about being welcomed, about company, and about being in an almost dreamlike version of the Irish country pub, knowing that there's history all around and a thousand stories to hear. But this is not an ad for the Irish pub. It's a real-life story about what it takes to keep a pub like this alive in the 21st century. The pub has been in the same family for over a hundred years, and in one way nothing has changed. And in another way, everything has changed. How are you doing? How's it going? This is the secret entrance. You're all set up. (laughs) The stark reality is that it costs nearly €20,000 a year to run this rural pub, between rates, insurance and basic operating costs. And that's before any profit can be made. I was just sneaking my my dinner there. (laughs) The next generation of the family to take on the challenge of maintaining Levis's pub are Joe O'Leary and his partner, Caroline O'Donnell, They're in their 30s and they both have full-time jobs in the city, 60 miles away. The pub is only open at weekends and Joe and Caroline have decided to try and juggle two lives in order to keep the place open. So tell me why you're setting up. On a really basic level, what your connection with the pub is. Jeez, on a really basic level, it was my my grand-aunt's pub and I I remember being brought down here as a kid. Well, because my granny obviously left here and married whereas her two sisters didn't so like my first connection was with my granny and then it'd be like will we go over to those two over there because she was living over the road you know so um, that's my first that's kind of my first um, earliest kind of childhood thing we better open the door so anyway I better get the phone Valley de Hob is a village in West Cork 60 miles southwest of Cork City, but it could be a million miles away. Curving up the hill where the river meets the sea, there are two streets, a couple of shops, and a post office. And Levis's is one of seven pubs. The population of the village hovers around 300. And as the first customer of the evening arrives, Caroline is in the back, beginning to find her way around the old kitchen. What are you making? It's it looks lovely. Oh, it's risotto. <laughs> Um, and who's it have, for? It's for uh, it's for us for our dinner. Yeah, and I seem to be making enough for uh, the village. <laughs> it's this pot. I found this pot. I keep finding stuff here. So I found this huge big pot, and now I'm just um, uh, being dictated by the pot. I think rather than <laughs> cooking something that I'm supposed to. In its heyday, Ballydehob was a favourite haunt of the great and the good. Through the 70s, 80s and 90s, writers, Hollywood actors, artists and presidents 
all found their way here and they were drawn into Levis's by the unique character of the pub, the sense of stepping back in time and especially by the personalities of its proprietors, Joe's grand-aunts Nell and Julia Levis, unmarried sisters who lived and worked here all their lives. Julia died at the age of 92 back in 2006 and Nell lived on until last year when she died aged 104. Over the past 10 years, Levis's has been kept open two nights a week with the help of friends and neighbours, and especially Nell and Julia's niece, Joan. But that couldn't last forever, and many people locally assumed that the place would close. It's hard to know how we ended up down here, and it's hard to know what the hell we're at, but we're here, and this is what we're doing, and, you know... I guess at the root of the whole thing for us, very simply for me, was I felt the connection here. And I guess we just were always talking about moving down totally separate to all of this, moving down slower pace, and not, not that it's absolutely snail pace, but just a slightly slower pace. And it's great, and the novelty hasn't worn off yet. Like, it's only a weekend pub so far. Now, during the summer, we did open more days. We opened Sundays and... It's on Thursdays, and one week we stayed open actually 10 days in a row, which was phenomenal. <laughs> I know, there's going to be publicans all over Ireland going, this guy's a chancer. <laughs> but to be honest, like it has to make sense to open your doors as well. You know, If you're not open, you can't have customers, but there's no point looking at the two of us either and staring into each other's eyes. Like, I mean, you can do that another time and <laughs> not at your place of work. Uh, at the moment, what's the, what's the week like then? The week... Our average week is both of us work Monday to Friday. Um, so you both of us then commute to the city. Both of our, like Caroline's job is in, in north side of Cork, um, of the city. And mine, I'm a builder, like, so that's kind of what I've always made my crust from. Come Friday, I kind of have to take a half day Friday, head down here, <laughs> rush down. And I try to be here for half five every day, uh, every Friday, and I get here at quarter past six. And yeah, it's just it's never stops. I'm going to follow the fortunes of the pub over Joe and Caroline's first winter. I wonder whether they'll be able to keep this place going through the dark, quiet nights and what it'll mean for them and for Ballydehob if they can't. There's a big challenge ahead, but Joe is keeping it all in proportion. My ambition is to finish painting the back door uh, red. I put the undercoat on in April and it's now October, so I'm getting there. So uh, you set your sights quite high then? I'm yeah, probably. very, very high. I'm going to paint the higher, the higher windows as well. Um, do you think that it's feasible to keep the pub open two days a week going into the future? Probably not, but... Uh, <laughs> We're probably going to have to do it. I mean, yeah, your question is fairly straightforward. Do I think it's feasible? I, I'd like to think so. But our aim is to make sure it doesn't close. I think if you close it, if people know you're only open to weekends, it's cool. But then if you're closed for one weekend in the year, people will decide in Ireland that you're closed for good, you know? Like they come to the door, oh, they're closed. Oh, they must have closed down, you know? So there's a bit of that crack. So we felt, I felt like you have to keep it open regardless. No matter what's happening in your life, you have to keep it open. Um, if you're going to if you're going to try this thing, you know, the challenge is set. I mean, rural pubs are in decline massively, and I think you have to be a bit deluded to be in a band thinking you're going to make a living out of it. And I'd spent 15 years playing music professionally or semi-professionally, and I think I think you have to be a bit deluded to make think you can make a living out of a bar as well. But I think without that little bit of delusion. <laughs> 
or whatever you want to call it, but it is a delusion. Without that, um, you probably would give up, you wouldn't even open the door, you know? So like, I mean, we'd like to, to keep it open. You know, as you say, for, for historical reasons, I, like I wouldn't feel it a weight on my shoulders, but there is a small bit of, uh, you know, this has been going for 100 years plus, you know, we can't just stop now, you know? A big part of Joe's life has been as frontman of his band Fred. They released four albums and have been one of the most successful music acts to have come out of Cork in the last decade. It's a really big change going from playing in front of several thousand people to running a small family pub in a tiny remote village. Oh look, it's a customer. You must introduce yourself. Hello, oh, customer. No. What are you here for now? <laughs> it just came to warm up and watch and TV. How's that going? <laughs> I just finished work, so I just stopped by. Like, cool. Yeah. How's the, how are you feeling now? Are you warmer? Yeah, but I know. I thought you said it was by the Usually we have the fire on here, and I've been given out to, by my beautiful customer here that I don't have the fire on. So, but I was under pressure, you know, with the interview and everything. You might have noticed that the customer on this October night in the small Irish village had a German accent. And that tells a story in itself. Because back in the 60s and 70s, the outside world discovered Ballydehab. And ever since, blow-ins have been coming from all over the world in search of an alternative life. Inside in the family kitchen, just off the bar, I sit down with Tara Brandell. Tara grew up in Ballydehob. Her parents, a writer and an artist, were drawn from a glamorous life in L.A. to the idyllic rural life that they found here in the 1960s. And they made Nell and Julia Levis Tara's godparents. You know, as soon as you come in, they sort of offer you a piece of brown cake or a cup of tea or, you know, Nell would say, oh, I'll fry you up some rashes. Or they, I just lived on leftovers and everyone else did. You kind of expected to get fed as soon as you came in. No, I think the biggest part was really just the sense of community. There were constantly people in the kitchen having a chat and neighbours coming in to share gossip and the radio on and, yeah. I mean, the drinking was big in the evenings and after mass, but I think the biggest thing was just this constant exchange of news and connection and food. That was in the 1970s, and the legacy that Joe's grandaunts have left behind is one that Joe and Caroline have inherited. But they have to make it work today in very different circumstances. Gerard O'Donovan is one of the locals who mans the bar when called upon. It's all about meeting people, Ian. That's what it's about. Like It's just meeting and contact and socialising. Like It's not about drink. It's conversations and it's just having a chat. You know, and, and that's rural Ireland. That's the way we're brought up. That's the way... Like, if you go to some country, you go to some pub, and they, and they wouldn't even talk to you, would you go to that pub? Whereas here, you just chat to them, ask them, how are you getting on? And three simple words, are you OK? <laughs> you know, people need to hear that, like, well, it's part of the pub business, like. Just somebody comes in, how's your day? You know, but he'll tell you a story, right? And next thing... An hour later, he's gone, but somebody else comes in. You can tell that story to that person. 
and it's, it moves. It's, that's the way the poor business is. Like, you know? Yeah. What was with this all? Sorry. Very coke on its own. Oh, on its own. Oh, great. In a glass, please. No butter. We managed that. No ice or ice? No. No ice. It's November, and we're heading deeper into winter. Caroline is still in the kitchen. Now, just in case you think Caroline is always in the kitchen making Joe's dinner, she's not. In fact, she commutes an hour and a half to Cork every day to her high-powered job as a project manager with Apple computers. I wonder how she's getting on with the shift of pace that comes with moving to a country village. It's just a lot simpler, and it feels that, you know, stuff has a little bit more meaning or something, you know? Um, you know, just things are slow, slow down an awful lot. Like I found when I moved down, um, you know, that you'd be talking to someone and they'd stand there and they wouldn't say anything for a few minutes and in my head the conversation was over and I'd get ready to go and then they'd start on the next thing and, you know, I really had to kind of slow myself down until we're just standing around having a chat here now you know no one's in a rush to do anything it's not like we had a set of topics and you know we drive on so I I just I really love living down here it's great and we keep meaning to sit down and make like a business plan and everything like that but we don't have time so (laughs) so we uh hopefully now maybe in the long winter evenings we'll uh, get a bit more organized about it so how do you feel about the enterprise of trying to keep the place open Uh, well uh, I wouldn't be viewing it as that it's like Joe's family pub. I'd be looking at it as that it's something Joe and I are doing together, you know? Like, I'm from a small village in West Kerry, and uh, I left there, what? I left there (laughs) with all of the villagers on a cliff seeing me off. (laughs) No, I left there years ago, and ever since then, I always lived in cities, and I loved it, and it was great crack, but I think I knew I wanted to kind of come and move to the countryside and stuff, so... This, uh, we made the decision together and moved down. And then in terms of the pub, for us, um, like we'll have to see how the winter goes, you know. And it's not that we're not committed, but, you know, we're being a bit um, sensible about it in some ways as well. Like that, you know, we really have to get through the winter, see how it goes. And there's the other side of it as well. You know, we'll, it's a big change for us to live down here in the winter, you know, aside from the pub and everything. So we'll go through the winter Sure to fly, we're halfway there already. We're in the middle of November, so um, we'll go through that. And then, kind of think, spring, we're going to be planting all the stuff in the garden. And I think we're going to be coming at the summer with kind of anything we kind of learned last summer. Whereas, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of, the rough idea. <laughs> Is it a bit daunting? Or are you just, at this point, full of enthusiasm? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's daunting. I mean, you can go into something thinking about the worst things that are going to happen or you could just enjoy it for what it is at the time, which I think is what we're both very much doing. Like, it's still very early days as well. Like, I mean, taking on a pub in the middle of nowhere is a bit of a mad uh, notion. But no, I mean, it's kind of hard to to be uh, daunted about stuff around Joe because he's not really that person. I'd be more the warrior and uh, I'd be more... You know, what what's our pension and what what are we going to do five years time and all this? Whereas he's not like that at all. So that's a bit um, catching that kind of enthusiasm. I think so. Yeah, so that's where we're at. One of the unusual things about Levis's is the sense of the public and the private existing side by side. 
If the front bar is packed, you might find yourself on the couch in the kitchen with your pint, or in the dining room around the table. Upstairs there are six bedrooms which used to accommodate guests, and the ladies isn't where you'd expect it to be. So the ladies, you go into the kitchen, go left, go up the stairs, go left down the corridor, and into the toilet. There you have it. So I've come in through what feels like the family house, in through the kitchen, in through the dining room, and up the stairs to yeah. go to the loo. And this is what all your customers do. All the ladies, only ladies can use the upstairs toilet. The men have to use the out, outside toilet. So down the corridor, past all the wonderful works of art. Oh yeah. Yeah, we have Uchterard and the Cooperages in Killarney. Do you find people come up to go to the loo and then don't come back down for they like don't half, come an back half an hour? And then they go, oh, we were just having a nose around. You've lovely things, lovely trinkets. Are, are they still there? <laughs> You're a suspicious kind of fellow. I'm suspicious. We're all suspicious. Okay, people. it's all right. I think I found him. <laughs> oh, so uh, there's a bath in so here as well. I'll you to it now. Bye. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a bath while I'm at it? <laughs> I think people probably have done that. Because they've been gone up here so long. That's cool, add uh, the aquamarine colour, I like it. It's very sweet. When you're in Levis's front room, you notice straight away that it used to be a shop as well as a pub. On the left-hand side of the room, there are old weighing scales on the counter, ancient groceries shelved on the walls. In one way, it's like the shop has been frozen in time while on the pub side, pints are still being poured. But these groceries weren't bought to be funky decorations in the future. They were stock for what was a thriving business. Oh, they had all sorts of things, some of it old-fashioned, loads of things that you would never find um, anymore, like boxes of starch and candles and bo- um, soap. And, um, Milk, and you could buy shoelaces and hair clips and all sorts of things. You know. yeah, <laughs> Sticky tape, paintbrushes, yeah. um, rat killers, uh, rat traps, mouse traps, all sorts of strange and wonderful birthday candles. They were my thing. Pubs like this in the old days were one-stop shops. While you were waiting for your ham to be sliced and your sugar to be bagged up, you could sit up at the bar and have a tipple, hear some local gossip and order some twine. The function has changed, but holding on to the groceries is about more than the past. It's part of the idea that a real Irish pub is at the heart of the community in every way. Do you like my Campbell's soup from 1963? And uh, I do. Are they actually? They're really, yeah. They're real. I found them out in the store. Um, I found them actually in the original box and all, but the box was melted away. I found Campbell's soup out there, like and candles and stuff like that. Like it was, it was class, like Warhol. Warhol would be just snapping the place up. <laughs> Um, even the dog food must be 15, 20 years old. Pity the dog. If we, the, this is the problem. If we actually do get busy in the summer, people start nicking stuff. <laughs> they do. People love nicking stuff. Like they're like, oh sure, they're not using them. And it's like it's part of our thing, our display, you know. In many ways, Joe and Caroline are here now because of Joe's parents, Joan and Peter O'Leary. Joan was Nell and Julia's niece. She grew up nearby and has been in the place for as long as she can remember, helping out her aunts. She moved away to have her own family, but came back often. After Julia died and Nell got older, Joan put her own life on hold to keep the place going and to mind Nell. Joan has been the link between past and present. She was there when the older generation was too old to keep going, 
and before the younger generation were ready to take over. When Joan sits at the counter here, she can see back to a different time, when the place was alive with customers buying all the essentials for the week. The parents and grandparents of people who call in now for a drink. Oh yeah, we had the tea and the sugar and everything, bar boots and shoes, as Auntie Nell used to say. Everything, but the, the loose tea, we still have that, that I'd sent to America now for the cousin in America wouldn't drink any other kind of tea. But, um, you know, they did... They sold everything and then they, uh, the people used to run a bill like and pay if they had money at the end of the month or maybe pay in kind with turnips or potatoes or whatever they'd have. You know? I suppose because I have my life lived, if you like, I feel like, you know, I don't want to go now into doing something that I'm going to be completely tied to all my life. Even though I suppose they thought I'd continue on, but they didn't kind of have plans for me to get married and have kids. Like, that wasn't in their book, you know. They thought I should really take over the business from them because I've been here since I was 10 years old and we're only open the Friday and Saturday night now. And hopefully, you know, it'll stay open for a while. It'll be kind of a bit strange for me now to have it closed completely. I think I'd find it a big change, even though I'm not living here. It's hard to imagine just how quiet things can get in a small Irish village in the winter. It's cold and damp and dark by four. People stay in by their own fires. On nights like this, Joe can spend some time on his music. If you're going to the North Country Fair Where the wind blows hollow on the borderline Joe and Caroline are halfway into their first year and things are getting very quiet. People are wondering locally whether it'll be possible for them to keep the place going. Even on a Saturday night like tonight, the loudest sound in the pub can be the sound of the fridge. I'm playing with my beautiful Ben Fred, who are on the way out. So is this like a goodbye gig? Yeah, we just announced during the week. Um, so long farewell. So we're doing a farewell tour like Westlife, as Jordy said here. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's going great. It's nearly all sold out, actually, to be honest. Oh, we're, adding, we're adding dates for our going away tour. And is this so that you can free yourself up to become a publican? Yeah, cool, yeah. well, you can see, like, I'm, I just don't have the time for both here, really. <laughs> Legend, you make a bit of noise there. Joe's invited his friends uh, in to make some noise. Yeah. So are things quiet enough <laughs> in here then over, the, over this weekend? Say, this weekend, been? yeah, because everyone's hung over from last weekend. Was it, bi- was it busy last week? It was rocking last week, yeah, yeah. We had a great, uh, great Saturday night. And if we could have a great Saturday night, every Saturday night we'd be fine. And tonight? Tonight is quiet, but it's early, like. There was a do in the hall, exactly. See, Ballady Hall can only handle one rocking night a week, which is fair enough, like. People don't have the money, you know. So there was a big community hall event last night where there was, geez, the bones of 300 people, was there? Yeah. But it's early, seriously. You could have at least four people in there yet tonight, like. <laughs> or six. <laughs> but I don't want to get too awful. <laughs> but I suppose with a night like tonight, with these two fine... Gentlemen, specimens. Gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. With TJ and Jared. Aren't they we're beautiful? Not, we're not troublesome. 
and they're not causing enough trouble. But on a <laughs> night like tonight, like you're operating at a loss even just by opening the door, are you? All right. Are you? Uh, I try. I, I kind of bit delusional that way. I don't look at the books really, like you know. <laughs> no, of course you are, but like you know, it's a lost leader. <laughs> What? What? There's no heat. Hey, the heating is on. The fire is on, lads. And the heating was on till about half an hour ago. Like, but like that's, I'm only, Jesus, I'm only learning the ropes. But like that seems to be par for the course. Like, I mean, I've gone across the road and on a night, and it's been quite. So it's it's grand. Like, I mean, it's a rural pub, really. It's the decline of the rural pub in Ireland. You know that cliche, but it is. Unless they start giving us grants, lads. <laughs> yeah. Give the grants to like, bring DJ back the smoking Ben. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Just you know, just the sense of some nights. Obviously, thirty people in spending a few bob that adds oh, up. Thirty people is brilliant in here. Like thirty people in here is kind of the place almost full. Like for the party, you no, know, last Saturday we had uh, about four. Was it about forty in here? Wasn't there? There was music here. You know, a pub I'd go to myself, I'd like something going on. Like, you don't want to be looking at the barman like the two boys here are, like, you know? Because I'm not that pretty. Pretty enough, though. <laughs> now, if Caroline was here, it's fine, like, you know? <laughs> Is she here? She's here. She's I'm, I'm going to go in and say hello to her, if that's all right. Because I, I know I don't She's have She's out cooking. we'd like to probably bring in uh, things that we're interested in and and that we have background in and like Joe Joe's background is in in music and he loves it and and we'd love to have like gigs here and so on that would be amazing I think and I think it would suit the pub any gig we've had here has been really magical like there's something just great about the atmosphere and so on and not just trad as well but I suppose food as well would be another another aspect that we'd love to kind of do I mean you can't like live in West Cork and not get caught up in the whole food, slow food and just the markets and produce and everything. It'd be lovely to do something along those lines, particularly, I suppose, because they would have, you know, there's kind of a history here of feeding a lot of people and they would have always had, um, you know, people here for dinner and lodgers and all of that. So, and it would be lovely. So those are kind of uh, general things and uh, then we've had madder notions about uh, <laughs> uh, when I say we I mean Joe um, <laughs> about like cider and onion festivals and stuff and I suppose kind of inspired by things that we've probably seen when we went on holidays and you know like we were in Brittany recently in, in France and um, one of the ideas Joe and Caroline have come up with is a storytelling evening to celebrate the history of the pub the event starts with a 30-year-old tape made when RTE's Donica O'Dooling visited Nell and Julia Levis in their kitchen. After listening to the tape, stories start flowing from the friends, relatives and customers who have come out on this cold December evening. And loads of history, <laughs> loads of history, loads of stories and hopefully there's a great future as well. So nights like tonight are about remembering the past so that we can go forward with a bit of pride and it's, it's just great, I hope. People will tell stories. Nice warm chairs. There's a Rayburn cooker absolutely gleaming behind me. Julia, who keeps the kitchen clean? You do, do you? I'm the kitchen walloper. Oh, is that, is that what you are? You're the chef to keep, as they might say. No, we've been having a lovely... Is that, why do you have a brown sugar? How many spoons? One teaspoon. One teaspoon. Two, two ounces of butter. And one teaspoon of bread soda. And then there's butter. Butter milk. And what do you do with it? And mixed with soft dough. 
And then when Mary Robinson came in here, Nell was down the cellar, and Mary Robinson was standing here, and they were all thinking it was just her and Nick were in the middle of the floor, and there was nobody in the place, and they were here kind of looking around. And the next thing, Nell came out of the cellar. <laughs> next came up and said, Is it a drink? <laughs> the list of people who have come in this door reads like a who's who. Maeve Binchy, Jeremy Irons, Lord David Putnam, Neil Jordan, Gareth Fitzgerald, Jack Lynch, Nick Cave. One of my favourite stories was about the time Kevin Costner and his wife came in. Costner's wife found favour with Nell and had tea in the kitchen, while Kevin sheltered from the paparazzi in the bar. But celebrities aside, the best stories of the evening were about the happenings of the local community. Uh, I don't know, it must have been 15 years ago, Noel, you might remember better. There was a big meeting in the hall about the first talk of closing the bank, and it was unthinkable, which is interesting now, since they're closed all over the place. And uh, uh, the big meeting was held anyway, and uh, the crowd left the bank, and of course Julia, always fond of making a couple of, a bit of business, was expecting a, a, a reasonable crowd to come in here, but as it happened, everybody went up to um, Vincent Cochran's bar on top of the town, you know. And we heard all the waffle from the, the bank manager at the time about we could go online and we could do this and we could do that and sure made no good. But we went up to the, the Vincent Cochrane's and the first thing he did anyway, he offered to buy everybody a pint, uh, thinking he could kind of wipe the whole thing out, you know. So uh, myself and Brendan Cochrane and Dan O'Berry were in one corner of the bar and he said, what will you have, lads? You know, and we said, no thanks, we'll buy our own. Right. And uh, that was it. So... Dan was telling me the following morning he came out, he was opening up Annie's and of course Julia was still a bit peeved about missing the business and she shouted across at Danny, did you take the soup? She said. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it was a proud moment when he could say I did not. <laughs> After the storytelling night, things got quiet again. This is what happens in rural Ireland. Everything slows right down in the winter. There are fewer people in all the pubs and the shops. After a very quiet December, Joe has a good crowd in during the run-up to New Year's Eve. He and Caroline are still juggling life in Ballydehob with work in Cork and like many people at this time of year, the batteries are running a bit low. It's been really, really quiet, as in nuts quiet, as in I thought November would be quiet, but it was November and most December. And last Saturday was probably the busiest night and that had about, we had about 20 customers in, maybe 25 all night. So it's a bit mad, like as in... Even though we expected it and we were warned, you know, it's still when you're in it and you're living it, it's kind of like, okay, interesting. And when you say interesting, does it make you think twice? Oh, it makes you think three or four times, but it makes, it just raises the bar, the challenge, you know. So we haven't given up hope yet. <laughs> How are you? I thought I had energy for the world, but like definitely running thin. After the Christmas buzz and the relief of having a full house for a few nights, January and February bring with them quieter nights again. But some of the old regulars are making an effort to come in and support Joe and Caroline, partially out of loyalty to what came before them and partially because they're hoping to find the same special qualities of warmth and welcome that were second nature to Joe's grand-aunts Nell and Julia and their niece Joan. Arriving here as a lesbian with, you know, three children and... uh, sitting up at the bar with them, you know, three little toddlers. Um, 
I was trying to think, you know, did was there any odd kind of... But there wasn't. There was just general, who are you and what are you doing and where are you, you know, where are you living and, uh, you know, who's your neighbours and everything. But n- never any funniness, never any... Um, you know, there was, a, there was a space for everybody here. So you could have a Hollywood star in one corner yeah. and a lesbian with triplets in the other corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of, often. <laughs> so it, it yeah. took a lot to shock them. Oh, there was, like, there was, there was nothing that could shock Nell and Julia, I don't think. You know, they, but they're very accepting of, of everybody and the big world revolved around, <laughs> around Valley Yeah. No, I don't think anything ever shocked them. They didn't, no matter what your creed was, your race was, your whatever. They just come in and sit down and talk to us. They just come in, welcoming. That's what they were. They never judged anyone. I remember somebody came in and they were asking questions about me and who I am and where I was from and, you know, being a Jackine and all that sort of thing. You know, it was worse than being anything else. But, um... um so she she sat there and she listened to all the questions. Who is she? Where is she from? What's her name? Who are our people? All that sort of thing. And she said, you have so many questions. She said, why don't you turn around now and go out the door and up the road and ask yourself? Because I won't be answering any of those questions. So that's the way Julia was. I don't want to see this place close. I really don't. I don't... I don't. I don't know what'll happen. It'd be nice to turn it into something that's entertaining. It was always a talking pub. Yeah. Do you know, it was always a place to, yeah. you know, to sit and chat and, you know, so I think it's important for everybody. Yeah, you could sit and hug one pint for, a little, you know, all night. <laughs> if you could talk. Yeah. yeah. You pay for your pint in the town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, all, it's always had a session as well. So it always had a lively kind of music session as well. Yeah. It's March and spring is beginning to soften the edges of rural life. It was this time last year that the appeal of West Cork really began to grow on Joe and Caroline. We entered the abode, the driveway. So what's your connection with this the house? This is my grandmother's house. So this is how it all started. We were down here a couple of years ago and the place was a bit overrun because there was no one living here at the time. And my mum was wondering what we should do with the place. And we were living in Cork. I loved living in Cork. And uh, we were down here. We said we'd do a bit of gardening, try and get the place back in order a small bit, like a bit of cutting the lawns, trimming back the hedges, that kind of thing. And uh, we, myself and Carolyn, were down there. We were going, Jesus, we, it was, the weather was gorgeous. We were like, geez, it's kind of nice here. And here, one thing naturally led to another and I, I, we asked could we uh, get a good rent in the place and we said we could I'd be delighted there was someone here you know and uh, so yeah we literally moved down the week Nell passed away so Nell over in the pub passed away literally I'm not messing we bar- like she passed away I think the night before we moved down that we had planned to move down like and we planned it three or four months in advance like so like then literally we landed here the next thing was like what am I going to do with the pub? So, yeah, so then we offered to do that. <laughs> and here we are. So there's a bit of fate involved. Uh, Things are beginning to change. Have you enough tomato plants? That's what I want to Joe's spending less time in the city and more time down here. And it's not just about the pub. There's chickens, vegetables, fruit trees. That's a, a lot of tomatoes. Who's doing that? Is it you? That's me. Are you going to sell them? Yeah, hopefully. We do tomato salad in the pub. And two porcine residents, Bonov and Clyde. Hey, Bonov! 
come on. She smiles. She actually laughs. Come on, come on. Oh no, she's shy. She must be uh, microphone shy. She actually does smile. <laughs> The annual Ballydehob Jazz Festival happens in the late spring and usually it brings the buzz the village needs to kick off the summer season. This year there was talk of it not happening at all. The steadfast committee of previous years is burned out. The same few people make everything happen in a small place like this. But Joe and a few others get heavily involved and pull together to make sure it happens. And on Monday afternoon, Levis's is packed to the rafters with people listening to local band Mongoose who are playing in behind the shop counter. Um, the, 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 first, the village was rammed. It worked, like, and it wouldn't have been rammed, including my own place here, like, it wouldn't have been... I know it's a bit cheeky calling my own, but you know what I mean? It wouldn't have worked without... It, there wouldn't have been people here. It would have been an average weekend... You'd have had your handful in saying, oh, this is lovely, this is lovely, instead of it being rammed and alive and a living pub, you know. And it's, that's what makes it great. Like, it's lovely to look at, but it's amazing when it's rammed and thronged and people still, there's a buzz in here. I, I, I came in off to the street. There was a warmth, there was a crack, there was an atmosphere, there was people just banter, listening to music, talking, listening to music, talking. And uh, my mom, my sister, Caroline, um, who I'm currently calling my wife now, um, common law um, uh, our friends we had two friends there was five women behind the bar one stage so that's what it's all about it's class so people come in here for that reason and come into the Irish pub the Irish pub for a reason not just here you know and we can't forget that like I mean we're, we're, it's a dying dying art dying trade but we can't forget it and I think if we just hold on like I even feel it's turning a little bit like without reviewing now but I think I feel it's turning you know like to someone just after buying a tomato plant off us there, you know what I mean? Because we've jazzed tomato plants doing it. Like, that's cool. And we're not going to make our fortune out of it, but it's a cool thing. Someone goes, oh, I bought a tomato plant in the pub, you know what I mean? And have, have slight little different things. And that's how people remember you, like, I think, I hope. Because I haven't been here since Nell went to the home in Skull, so this is my first time after two years, and I think... It's very, it's really vibrant, and it's really nice to see, like you say, that her great nephew is taking over and bringing new life in it. Because, of course, first it was two, you know, from two old women, and now you see this fabulous guy with a beard, with his girlfriend behind the bar, and it's like buzzing. It's like the truth is, they, the truth is, they would love this because yeah. they loved new life. Yeah, this was really the place to be, and I. It looks now, t- today, that it's again going to be the place to be. Okay, you told me the first time I spoke to you last year that your main ambition was to paint the back door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. I actually knew. No, I knew you were going to ask this. And I, I keep looking at it going, oh, I'll do that now. I'll do that now. <laughs> and I haven't actually done it. But it's really, really on the short list now. Like, is at the time, <laughs> I felt you were you were setting your ambitions a little bit high with the door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was concerned. Well, it turns out you were right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. So the back door is not painted. No, I don't know what color to be because I had decided you said what red. color. Yeah, it was a claret red, like uh, like a deep red. So, but now I actually think the color on it, the undercoat, is quite an old looking color. 
that maybe we should just try and match that. I think you should that. wait another year. Don't rush into anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the, the, the fact is, when we put the undercoat on, all the locals went, oh, jeez, you have to paint the place up. <laughs> so, like, I mean, now they're going to be, they're painting it twice a year. Oh, jeez, you must be making money. Oh, they brought loads of money down from the city. <laughs> we're, we're paying too much for the pint. <laughs> there go all our customers. <laughs> Do you feel like you can keep the pub going for another year? Yes. Do you? Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Try and stop us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Our goal the first 12 months was to make sure it didn't lose money because it hadn't been making money like it had been, you know, and our, that was our goal. And I think we achieved that. Yeah. And That's pretty good. Yeah, no, we achieved that. Like, as in, because before there was no reason for it to be open at all. Now, there is still no reason in terms of none of us are making a wage out of it, but you can see it improving just very small margins like really small but the graph you feel is going um, up really incrementally but really small increments do you think that you can keep between you keep the doors open for another 12 months oh definitely yeah in fact I think I could do it myself you know right